And I'm not here saying you ought to be all in. I'm just saying that the meaning in life is a product of my commitment to life. That's what I say. Meaning comes out of commitment, comes out of constraint. Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. I've got Adrian Kaler with me. We jump into talking about leadership. What does it look like when you go all into something? Yes, we answer that question. And what about vision? Is that important to leadership and the issue of mental health that is so prominent in media right now? How do we dive into that? And the hustle culture? Yeah, we talk about that. Listen, Adrian not only lives this, he also teaches it. Some of his clients are Nike, USA Navy SEALs, Oprah Winfrey Network, Jenny's Ice Cream, Smarty Pants Vitamins. The list goes on. Everyone, help me welcome Adrian Kaler. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a Success Magazine podcast. And today I have Adrian Kaler. So good to be here, Tristan. Thanks for having me, man. Excited about this convo. You know, anytime I talk to someone that dives deep into leadership, like that, that's my favorite topic, only because I look all around and I feel like, man, we are really in desperate need yeah. of powerful, uh, just beautiful leadership. Because we have a lot of these people that are just not leaders and they're in leadership roles, which sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the world's groaning for it, for sure. I feel like um, in the, the more than ever in the months, years to come, there's, there, there's a necessity for a new type of leadership. So right. Let, let's talk about that because I think that through through tough times, specifically for for the United States, like tough meaning like we had to go to war, World War One, World War Two, other wars. Uh, sometimes we're pushed into, forced into taking on leadership roles, right? And then we're yeah. forced into a certain position. Right now, a lot of us, for the most part, aren't in a position like that. And I think we're we're creating out of the. I feel a necessity sometimes to just want to do something and lead. We're creating problems for ourselves. It's like, I yes. see it left and right. What do you think of that, man? Well, what is that quote? The weak times, weak men, weak men, tough times, tough times, tough men. Do you, you know this quote? Dude, yes, I know that. I know what you're referring to. Yeah, I wish I knew it better and who said it or whatever. But I got my team just brought it back up to me the other day. And, I, you know, we've been in... We're we're at a time of weak men, um, in my opinion, and weak not like obviously from a virility standpoint because you know we're maxed out and we're going to the gym as much as possible and we're optimizing everything physically. It's it's really around people's thinking, mm. um, and I think it's because we've you know entered the phase of, of hyper political correctness. So everybody kind of decided to speak less because they didn't want the drama and they didn't want the retribution. Ooh. And so they just decided to hush themselves. Well, and if you have something to say and you don't say it, it grows. And, uh, or it, it, you know, you, you become smaller. You know, so either you get the outrage. Um, finally, people have the burst out of the outrage or they just decide to have a smaller vision for their lives because they've got something to say and they don't say it out of fear of retribution or people's, you know, viewpoints. And then I have to lower my vision to match my commitment because no longer am I committed to saying what's true for me. I'm now I'm committed to saying what's socially acceptable and true for me. So we become smaller in order not to offend people. And that's not free. That's not free speech. And, you know, the can anyway, we can do two hours on the cancel culture, but really the impact, like, okay, what's the, what is the grandchild of that? which is muted, especially men. I, I coach a lot of men. I don't coach solely men, but I have a heart for men. Um, actually coach probably as many women as men. 
but and, and it's and it's on both sides. I mean, women have been stunted for a long time. Um, yeah. Some of them been stunted, and then some of them have utilized that to stunt themselves. I would say that to all my clients. Like, hey, I, yes, there are some external situations. Yes, there are. How we relate to those is up to us. There have always been people that have overcome externalities, and we call those heroes. So if you want to mm-hmm. overcome your circumstances, you're stepping into a heroic journey. That is stepping into some suffering. That is stepping into controversy. That is stepping into insecurity, into fear. That's what comes with that, deciding to venture out past the known land, out, out past what's comfortable. Yeah. So. Anyway, for men and women both, and we're just entering a time. I'll get to my point. My point is like we're entering a time where we need people to speak, and leadership always happens in thought, word, and action, and everything comes back. I love that you're, it's called Brilliant Thoughts Podcast because that's where everything is. That's where all action begins in a conversation, i.e. in my head with myself about the world. So love this stand, man. Love this work. I like that. Well, I like where you're going with this because now I'll want to think, well, what are we what are we not doing enough of when it comes to being in thought? Like how how do we do more of that in the right direction because I'm a true believer like look, things can be done. Yeah. And not everything is going to get you to that right way of living life or better way of living life. So how can we do it better? Uh, that's an interesting question. I'm, I'm, I'm first off as a disclaimer, I'm not a better guy only because in order to think about better, your past must be the reference point. True. We only know if it's better, if it's better compared to what, or somebody else. Right. And we are in, we're envy machines these days. Welcome to social media comparison. that has helped yeah. it living in comparison. And in the recovery world, they say compare despair. Like they put those two things together, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. true. If we live in comparison, comparison, we live in despair because our internal world will never match what we think someone else's internal world is, which is signified by the Ferrari or, or by the picture on Instagram with a happy family. You know, we'll, we all, we're all more insecure than we'd like to talk about. Yep. And, and life is harder than we like to talk about. Um, you know, there's like authentic struggles. It's just, you know, I don't know. I'm a pretty empowered cat and I'm getting my kids out the door this morning and we got the new puppy and my wife and I've been bickering the last couple of days and, and we've got, I got to carry the shit to the school with the, the Play-Doh that I bought for the first grade teacher. It's just, a, and I'm walking the dog and I want to drink coffee and now I'm spilling it. Welcome to freaking Monday morning, man. Yeah, bro. So I, I, you know, anyway, I'm making light of that, but it's not light. Welcome to Monday. Like this is it, you know, and is that suffering not compared to whatever? Yeah. Um, but it is all just here in this moment. Life's not that easy. So, okay. I don't think about better because it usually requires me to have a reference point outside of where I'm headed. Okay. So I would much, I would much rather wonder about what a pure aim would be for my future that would compel me to the table that would summon me to the surface, you know, and we, we call that vision. Vision is a future worth having. And I, people that are listening that we haven't talked about this yet. So I coach founders on a daily basis. I work mostly with these very high functioning, high speed, really brilliant leadership teams and all different uh, verticals. Um, but all really, you know, meat eating, get after it, you know, make it happen, build a stellar team, highly leverage, it better work, th- those types of environments. So I think about this a lot. So we we talk about vision a lot. Okay. I because, love that. Because, well, yeah, I mean, there's ways to talk about it too. Some people talk about the future as a relief system to the present, right? So it's going to get better, we might say to ourselves, or next year, our goal, we're going to hit, you know, by 20, by, tw- you know, I, I, guy I just talked to the other day on the phone, he said, he had this really massive vision for his company. He's got a regional food company and he's got 12 stores now and he wants to be in an Outburger. I'm like, okay, well, that's a big, that's a big vision. They've done well. How long is it going to take you? 10 years. Okay. So it, the 10 year vision is relieving to the moment we're in now. Got it. So I'm not talking about that type of vision. That's kind of like the, let's the pressure off kind of vision. I'm talking about what am I committed to creating? And you can't, I mean, you can have a view of 10 years from now, but it's really always got to get chunked back down to something that's applicable, um, engaging right now. 
you know, actions I can take right now. It's really clear for today what's needed to move it forward. On that piece, are you more of the 10-year plan type of uh, person, five-year plan, year plan, action this week? What does that look like for you on that? Yeah. I mean, for myself? Yeah. Yeah. For myself, I like to have a 10-year view. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but it, it, I, for me, it is what it is. Like it is, it is, any view of the future is nat, is naturally fantasy, just period. It's not real. It's not happening. It's yeah. definitely not going to happen. Like I think it's going to happen. So <laughs> it is that, right. It is kind of fantasy yeah. and, and, you know, and it's fantasy has got its purpose, right. It kind of, it, it, it sends us in the general direction. Yeah. And so my wife and I, we've been married a year, both second marriage for both of us. We think about, okay, when are we going to get the ranch in Ohio? We think about this. We talk about it quite a bit. Are we looking at ranches in Ohio? No, not yet. Kids aren't quite, we've got 18, 16, nine and seven. So, wow. you know, hello. Um, and, you know, that's probably a couple of years out, um, just even logistically to figure all that out. Yeah. So, but we do think about it and talk about it often and it is relieving. It is fun to think about that. But it is that it's fun. It's entertaining. Um, I'm much more, what are we, you know, I'm much more, even people do a five-year plan. That's fine for myself. We want to chunk it all the way down to what's this next year going to look like, because that's all actionable and it requires some alignment together, requires us to clean some things up, to stop doing some things, start doing some other things. Um, and it's really trackable. So that's the way I think about it. It used to be so much people just would always ask like, where do you want to be in five years? I get the point of the question. Yeah. It just doesn't mean that much. That's true. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot missing in there and there's a lot. Well, yeah. I, I like, it, I like focusing on the year, man. And I love what you're saying about the vision too. Yeah. I, I never really taking time to look at it this way, but uh, not better, but something that. that something new. Something driving. new. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, we focus on the new in our work. That's, I mean, we don't do more, better or different. We go new. Um, and that's really what the human soul wants, I say, um, because I mean, that, that's more revelation. That's more, that's deeper. Um, that requires more courage. I want to think about the future in a way that it generates the type of person I want to be right now. And I think it's inseparable. Like, like in, there's a, there's a mantra in our work, future-based language creates present state. So how I, what I predict is who I become. And we know that's true on a short basis, right? You ever go to a meeting with a guy that you're like, why the hell did I say yes to this meeting? Like, <laughs> why am I spending time? You ever, ever do that? Um, I've done that before where I go sit down and I'm like, why am I doing this? And I sit there and I'm like kind of grumbling to myself the whole time, having a bullshit conversation for an hour and looking at my watch, wondering when I can leave. Now I was already predicting that it was a waste of time. And guess what? I created it to be a waste of time by my behavior. Yeah. You know, I already had my judges made up about this guy or my skepticism about the future. And I presenced that now to prove myself right about what I was predicting, which yeah. is the way the mind works. You know, it's not like, not like we're neutral and we're going out looking for evidence. We have decisions. We, we predict something. Our brain is very good at predicting things in order to generate safety. Mm. And so we predict everything. And then we go out and find evidence along with the cognitive bias, they call it now, in order to sustain that view. So to hold a team for, in our work, to hold a team connected to or in a conversation, in a context of what's possible. So that generates a conversation about what's new, what's possible if we utilize the past and none of the past was a hindrance to us. It was all fuel for the future. What's possible for this team? Well, that the only next two things we can, they can look to the market, which they typically do. They can look to history and they go, oh, if we stay on trend, blah, 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 um, which is all incremental and nobody wants that anyway, but we'll say that to satisfy ourselves and to just keep up and keep our jobs maybe. But really what's possible requires a look in the mirror because you get a leadership team of eight people. I mm. don't see groups. I see individuals. And one person can change that team. Most people are going to hide behind who the leader is or hide behind the dynamics or the politics. But it only takes one person to change a system. We know that throughout, throughout human history is like the one person that stands out changes everything. So True. if we're talking about the future, like it in a way that's dynamic and is 
uh, has some teeth to it, or I could describe that better, but as a way that has ownership baked into it already, mm-hmm. then it's the next thing we'll be looking in the mirror because we got eight people that hit 20 million this year. And I'm saying we could double it next year. I'm holding out the possibility that we could double it next year. What would it take to double our revenue next year? We have to look in the mirror and say, hold on. Well, how am I doing? Am I at my capacity? And the answer to 99.99999% of people is no. No. And that's a dangerous thought. It's a troubling thought. Yet it is the most empowering thought that's ever happened in humanity is what's possible for me. What I'm a, I've got some spiritual background in me. So pardon me, listeners that don't think this way and you don't need to, but I think we're endowed with, built with, organized by, engineered by a higher power that wants the most for us wants to change the world through us. That's my belief. And I think that's really good news. really dangerous news is like what I could say it this way, which I do with most of my potential clients were on the phone. They're all really successful people that I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll say, I know one of your secrets and they get nervous. <laughs> Dude, I bet that's a beautiful line. It's like, yeah, I know what <laughs> they do what you did, right? You were writing notes and all of a sudden you lean forward and you're like, hold on, what? This is good. So every high performer has a secret. I mean, we, we've all, we all live with a bunch of secrets, but um, every high performer has at least one secret. And I know what it is, is that they're so fucking good is that their six out of 10 looks like the world's 10 out of 10. Like when you're high level and you know this, Tristan, so from your true. own life. Is that you're so smart, you're so engaging, you're so likable, charismatic, you know, effective, action oriented, all those things that we can put in the kind of leader box people we like to follow that you can be holding back and nobody notices except for they do. If I'm if I'm a great high performing leader and I'm operating at a six out of 10 and nobody else notices that but I'm still troubled because I know I'm not living up to my own word to myself and it troubles me. It is lack of confidence. It shows up in my arrogance. It shows up in my shortness with a team member, shows up at home with my spouse or whatever. It shows up lots of places because I am betraying myself. Now we don't think, I mean, I think like that all the time because this is my work, but we don't use that language very often because it's pretty severe language. And I think our world would be served if we, you know, connected to the severe, but we're living in some kind of self-betrayal and we, we work really hard to justify it. And my, their secret is that this is going on for them and they're troubled by it. And that's why it's lonely at the top, really, is because we, as Kierkegaard said, men find a level of despair that's tolerable and call that happiness. Wow. That was my reaction when I first heard that 12 years ago. thought, holy shit, that's my life. I've been trying my best to, I guess, put, um, what's the word? Act like I'm okay. Yeah. Or just find a way that, you know what, this is okay. Or I'm doing the, I'm. We say like this, I'm doing the best I can. And which might be true in the moment, but it's like, but we actually utilize this stuff to kind of numb ourselves out because being committed to being fully alive, Mm -hmm. is really dangerous in the best of ways. Like if I just decided to be all in, there's a lot of conversations that I would have to have if I was all in. Dude, with yeah. myself, with my partner, with my partners at work, with my subordinates, people that work for me, with my investors. If I was all in, I wouldn't hold back. And that's, there's a lot of risk there. And so anyway, what? I'm talking for a while here, please. No, 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 no. I like this because I, I have two questions and they're, they're, they're tied together. What mm-hmm. does all in look like? And are you in danger of going against what a lot of people are talking about right now, which is the hustle culture. Mm. You mean, so the second question is, is if I'm all in, do I end up becoming this hustle culture? Yeah. Or, or is it, or does it look different? All right. So what does all in look like? Yeah. You can't be all in if you're not clear about what's worth your life. And I say that it's kind of a huge nominalized term, your life. What I mean is, you know, I'm 42. I might die next year. I don't know that, you know, I'm in good shape, but I'm, who knows what might happen to me? True. We can't, we don't ever know that. And the older we get, the the more we catch whiffs of it. And so, you know, people react to that in certain ways, but it is, am I living a life that's really worth my life? That's the first question that most people dare not ask because it naturally, it naturally brings up some despair because we're not usually there's at least some, if you looked around your life, you know, and this, 
if we looked around your life, there are places where I'm not fully committed. Yeah. And, and that's okay. I mean, there's no wrong with that either. And I'm not here saying you ought to be all in. I'm just saying that the meaning in life is a product of my commitment to life. That's what I say. Meaning comes out of commitment, comes out of constraint. That's where meaning happens. I mean, we might get lucky and something is meaningful on accident, but what a weird way to live. I know that if I'm committed to something and I'm willing to suffer for it, another word we don't use enough in our culture, but really willing to suffer for it, willing to, willing to hustle for it, willing to grind for it, willing to, uh, you know, get real with myself for, I mean, most, a lot of our work with people is around self-mastery. So am I, am I willing to take myself on? I just heard a Tolstoy quote today, which goes something and I'll plagiarize it, but something like people always want to talk about changing the world. How often do you talk about changing yourself? Tolstoy said something better than that, but that's the idea. Like the, the, anyway, so all in, you won't be all in until you have a compelling future like something that is really worth the climb, you know, like something over the mountain. That's the, the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Like something's like, if I don't, if I put something over the mountain that requires me to climb the mountain, I'll climb the mountain. Yeah. Most people don't want to put it over on the other side of the mountain because I don't want to climb this one. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather just set up camp at base camp and like wave at people going by and, 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 and take shots at those that are being adventurous and justify why I'm sitting at base camp and, and then, you know, kick people down the mountain. I mean, most people do that in the comparison game and they're not into self-mastery. It so sounds like the world we're in now, dude. That's it, dude. I'm serious. This is it. This is it. It's dangerous. I mean, the thinking is dangerous. I mean, and meaning like dangerous for the human spirit. Yeah. I mean, of course there'll be, there will be, you know, uh, secondary and tertiary dangers for, you know, geopolitically and all that. Um, but even just the danger for the human spirit, we've become so justified in our labile way of living, of just like sitting back and taking shots at people instead of seeing ourselves as responsible to leave a legacy right now. Yeah. So anyway, I want to honor your question. So all in, first off, requires some clarity. Um, and, then re- and then from that, that takes a lot of courage to have that level of clarity and then to get really honest about current reality, like those two gaps, right? So, uh, you know, how committed, how clear am I and committed am I to the future I want to have? How clear am I and committed am I to the current reality I'm in right now? Because if I'm clear about the future, but not connected to current reality, I have despair of possibility because I always want this thing. You, you, you know, people all the time that like are always talking about the next thing, but it never happens. And they live in this kind of, I'm always bullshitting, you know, you meet kind of sales guys or whatever, like all the time, they're always selling you on the next thing. But if you watch their life, it's never coming to pass. They live in a sense of despair of, of possibility because they're always talking and they don't, they can't cash the checks. The other side is true. If people are like really connected to what's happening right now, but aren't willing to dream, aren't willing to have a vision that's captivating for them, they have a different kind of despair of, of necessity. Right. So every week, every month, every year is just grinding by and they're busy bullshitting about the market and the recession and this and the bank and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Or the president at the time or, you know, it's always, always yeah, something to complain it's about. It's always something external, something way beyond their control that they can hide behind um, and find anybody online that'll agree with them and then spend all their time dancing around in that drama and then call that, you know, call that a year. That's it. You know what I'm saying? It goes by fast. It goes by fast. It really does. (laughs) You know, so, but if we're, if we're rigorously willing to be clear and committed to a future that's worth having, i.e. vision, and we're, and, and the harder part in my experience, definitely with my teams is the harder part is getting rigorously sober and honest about current reality. Like what's really happening now. And that includes what's working. Um, what's not working and then what's wanted and needed. Like those three, that's how we, that's how we debrief every breakdown or any kind of moment mm-hmm. in time. What's working right now towards the vision. Vision is the context, like a stated vision. And then what's working to serve that future. There are always things. Um, what's not working right now and we're doing it, but it's not working. And then what's wanted and needed. Like what is the moment calling for? If you were going to bridge that gap between, you know, vision and current reality, what's called for. And we, because we don't like conflict naturally, because we'd rather just survive. Yep. 
then there's lots of things we don't want to explore because we might have to let people go, might fire them, have quote unquote, tough conversations. Um, For every leader that I'm talking to, anytime they tell me they're about to go have this tough conversation, I'll always ask them, how long have you known you needed to have this conversation? And then they'll usually say, oh, it's been like this for a few months. And I said, okay, great. Then the conversation starts with a confession because you're, you saw the shit appetizer. You didn't eat it. You send it back to the kitchen, came back, shit sandwich. You didn't eat that either. And you send it back, you two course meal. Now you get the shit buffet and you're still blaming them for it. You knew about it six months ago, you know, and no big deal. None of this conversation at all is like a shame or a moral, like good, bad, whatever. It's just true. It's like, yes, I was a chicken. I didn't want to deal with it. I was busy. And I, no, 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 I was a coward. I have time for what's important. This just wasn't important to me. And now I have to fire the guy in public in front of his people. And I'm tempted to blame him. Mm. I didn't intervene when I knew it at the gut level intuitively. And even, you know, there's plenty of evidence about why things were going sideways. And I didn't care enough about the outcomes. I didn't care enough about the team. I didn't care enough about the person. Didn't care enough about my own integrity to at least start, open up a conversation about results. So these types of dialogues, that's what's needed to kind of really be all in. Because you're not going to go have that convo if you're not all in, like towards the results. If I, if I am all in, then I'll go have any conversation necessary. Which kind of goes back to how we started this, which was you said, uh, speaking less is a trend. Interesting, man. It is. Yes. And speaking less is a trend because cowardice is a trend. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like people are just saying a little bit less or just sniping or just getting committed to drama or just giving commentary on somebody else, which is just all hiding places. Yeah. You know, because nobody else needs somebody else giving one more comment about X person. Nobody needs that. I do that to sedate myself and to like double down on my own dogmatic view and, and really my own self-righteous view. Obviously if I'm busy judging anybody, it's because I think I'm better than them. That's true. That's very true. All right. So then now we've got clarity. We, we understand that, that suffering, there's gotta be some suffering because that's what creates the worth on the other end. Right. It's like, we got to get And we're going to go all in. Now, there's going to be some type of an unbalance for a while, right? Yes. It's just normal. Yes. Um, necessary. How do we then tackle the idea of the hustle culture? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, hustle culture you know, became popular online, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, where you check if you see some fruit follow the, follow the fruit back to the branch, to the trunk, to the roots. So, you know, most of that, I think hustle culture in general is glorified posturing because I don't, I mean, I'll just talk about from a management perspective, anybody that's leading a team and is glorifying long hours is missing the point. Yeah. You know, it's always, it's always a results-based conversation. That's why this whole like work-life balance thing is such a waste of time. It's actually really toxic um because it's a zero-sum game and it sets somebody up for losing and usually usually families lose yeah um and the family is the center of culture always so anyway the, the hustle culture is like posturing like i like to look like i'm hustling and i like i'm celebrating my activity and you know i, I got pride about it and you know Pride's one of the, I don't know, Catholics call it one of the seven deadly sins. So figure that out. But the, the, anyway, the whole, uh, you know, it's just back to survival. We, we talk about survival as looking good and feeling good and being right and being in control. Those are the four core survival needs. And we're not going to escape those. Those are baked into our, our brain. They are, our brain is looking out for ways to look good and feel good and be right and be in control. Ego needs, whatever you want to call them. Hustle culture is like that to me. No, I I agree with you. I think the the hustle culture focuses on the wrong thing because right on. You even just said, "Well, family is the center of the culture." Uh, If you start with that, it's like, dude, there are some days that we might work a little bit more, but there are also some days that we're with the family more. So right on. I was sitting in my hot tub last night with my little kids, 
the nine and seven year old, and I'm talking about this week coming up. And um, they're coming back. They'll they're with their mom today and tomorrow. They'll come back to here Wednesday, and I'm on a plane on Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to go do this four day leadership intensive. Yeah. And I always I do I never want them to say. I always ask them, why do you think I'm going on a plane? And my my daughter Charlie, she's seven, almost seven. She said, oh, for work. I'm like, oh, no, it's not for work. It's it's you know what I'm doing is I'm helping moms and dads become really great moms and dads and really great business leaders. So I'm there to help them get better as leaders and as moms and dads. So that this is what daddy really cares about. So sometimes I get to go do these trips and it's, it's hard for me to leave you. And it's also a joy to go be with them. Does that make sense? And we talk about what that is because I want them to, to know my mission so that later it's not like dad was working. No, no, no. Dad was committed to helping leaders lead really well. So they get it, right? It's not like, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, they're seven, right? Seven and nine. So they kind of get it. But also, as I just want to open that up. So it's not like work, which means nothing. It means usually a people set up work as like a threat to family. I want my kids to be into what I'm doing. Even when I was this morning walking and I was talking with my son about the training, he's like, oh, is this where you do that sharks in the water exercise? we do this thing called lifeboat and and everybody dies um or there's a process there's a process in which it's a very amazing illuminating conversation where the room there's a fictitious shipwreck and everybody's going overboard and then the room has to decide who's going to live oh and it's lots of chaos lots of tension and it illuminates thinking and illuminates you know obviously we we set the thing up that they're dying so like the room deepens immediately because people think about their family. They think about their mission. They think about their spiritual life, usually in ways they haven't thought about those things because they're about to lose it emotionally in that moment in time. So anyway, my son is connected to the, I was really proud because I told him about that exercise, I don't know, a year ago. And he said, Oh, is that when you do that shark exercise? So anyway, in nine-year-old terms. So what's my point? My point is that I want to integrate my work and my life. I mean, I I integrate it all. I don't even use that language anymore. It's just all the same thing for me. So my kids get what I'm up to. My wife gets what I'm up to. We support each other. And my work understands what's going on for me at, in my home. So when I'm in a transition or we're doing something new, or we've had a loss, like they understand that. And so there's this integrated view. So it's not balance because balance is this zero sum game, a teeter totter effect, or if one loses, one win and one loses. No, no, no. It's integrated and they serve each other. Most leaders that I know don't know enough about their people's personal lives. And we need, we're, we, we must, we must, not only is like a good idea, like our strategic upside or negotiating upside. If I know somebody's about to get married um, or if I know some, I mean, there's no harder working person on the planet than, than a new dad in my experience and definitely in my observation. Somebody that's got to start putting food on the table in a new way, especially some kind of, you know, sales dude that's whatever. Um, my point is like knowing what's going on in their lives is essential. Otherwise, they will shift their work behavior based on their personal interest, the shift in their personal interest, and will feel betrayed. But there is always this integration or disintegration between the corporate outcomes and personal interests. And so you got to know how those are aligned. And if they're not aligned, how to align them quickly. I really like that a lot. How do you take the time then to get to know the people that are working for you? Do you set times for one-on-ones or is it through the group that you get to know each other? What does that look like? If uh, for my team or for like in general? Just for your, for your team and then in general from what you've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I think the resistance naturally comes up for people when we put it in the context of time. Because here's my experience is that how long does it take to have a great conversation? Not, not very long, man. You feel empowered. I don't think it, it doesn't take too long. This is the thing. I think we typically label, think like it's going to take a long time so we get to avoid it. Mm. Like if I'm talking to Bethany, who's my assistant on the team and she's the coordinator for everything, if I'm just checking in from time to time, hey, how's Nick doing? I actually met her through Nick, her husband. How's Nick doing? How's the kids? You know, how are you doing with your transition at home? And how's your sister? You know, just checking in from time to time. That goes... A long way. And she knows I see her not as a robot or as a 
as a tool that I'm using to get things done. And of course, an aspect of her work is I am utilizing her to get stuff done. That's true, but I'm not treating her like a tool. Like I'm just, it's just some transaction machine. I'll pay you money. You just get these things done. And that's the exchange. No, there's a human being over there. And I know that if she feels seen, feels understood, I can speak in her language, then she's going to stay because she knows that like the future Bethany will benefit by being here. You know, like the, the one she's going to be in two years, she wants to make this. We naturally want to make decisions now that our future selves would thank us. So right. if I set up, if I set up a context where, Oh, being around Adrian, being at take new ground actually helps me become the best person, the best mom, the best wife, as well as make some money and, and learn new stuff and blah, blah, blah. Then people stay, you know, we talk a ton about retaining top talent. Bethany's a top talent. I've worked with a lot of coordinators or assistants over the years, and she's been with me now for five years. And I went through like a dozen before her. And once I met her, I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep her here. Yeah, <laughs> I please, love that. please stay. Um, you know, like she, would, she wouldn't be listening to this, but she could really take me to the racks on, on, uh, on, on a uh, raise if she wanted to. I'd pay it. <laughs> You're like, yep, let's go. Yeah. Uh, so for other people, to, to, to honor your question, um, externally, for really busy people, we need to be in, more intentional, right? If, we, we're, if we're taking on a thousand things in a day, we don't want to hope that our brain remembers to prioritize relationships. Because if we're putting out fires, if we're solving problems, there's lots of urgency and pressure around outcomes and deliverables for clients, for themselves, big moves, money, blah, blah, blah. So most people decide to be less intentional and just kind of roll the dice mm -hmm. and it always fails. So it's not that I don't, I don't think it's that, I mean, even it might sound silly, but to put once a month recurring in my calendar, check in with Bob. Yeah. That's a gift to myself. Now, Bob probably is never going to know that, oh, I'm calling, oh, I, tend, I tend to call Bob on the fifth of every month. But just to check in, and even if cool. it's just a voicemail, hey, man, I was just thinking about you. We haven't got to have a beer recently or a heart-to-heart -heart recently, man. Yeah. I just hope you're doing great. I'd love to connect. Even if you never do, that is worth a lot just to feel okay. emotionally connected to the guy that, you know, that you're working for, to feel that personal touch. And that doesn't that, – that situation takes 10 seconds. That is leadership, dude. That is, man. That is. That is. Especially as the world becomes more and more complex, it will never become less complex. It's always going to be becoming more complex. People follow people they trust, period. Mm. We, we thought that was a trend with the Gen Zers long ago. Remember, like, whenever people were talking about how, like, they're so relationally focused and what's wrong with them because they're not like baby boomers that just, you know, work at the bank for 25 years? Yeah, yeah. Um, that we've learned from them with increased complexity, we're always looking for people that order complexity. And great leaders do that. You can't change complexity. You just order it. You make it make sense. Here's all these things that are happening. And here's the way I see it. And it, everything gets kind of sorted out. And here's what we're going to do about it. And here's what I need from you to pull this off. And I think together we can go kick ass. Let's stay close. Let's do this as a team, shoulder to shoulder. And we can pull this thing off. Like people are like, you know, if you want to do the thing and if you like the person, then that's a guy I'll be with forever. Like, yes, that's that's my kind of talk. It makes me feel also that applies to that applies to the family. Oh man, yes. When you were saying people follow people they trust, I'm like, wait, that's just like a family. Like, because I think what we don't talk about when you're when you are also talking about um the words we use to kind of just get by, which is we don't use the word cowardice, we don't use the the, the other words suffering like suffering or self-betrayal or despair, all those like heavy words. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we can use those for our relationships in, in the family setting. hundred percent. I could really put things in perspective pretty quick. hundred percent. I hadn't seen it that way until you were talking about it. I was like, Oh yeah. Well, those are, those are just, I think, honest words for the mood, like of situations of, you know, trends, especially for transitions. We get, as I was saying, we've got a couple teenagers, one's going off to college to play football in the fall over in Ohio. And, you know, he's suffering, he's suffering now on purpose to pull this thing off. You know, yeah. he, he went from before I met him, 
he was like troubled kid in high school, early high school. They sent him off to like rehab and he got his stuff together, came out uh, a really sweet, very deep kid. And he and I have been really close over the last four years and I'm deepening and deepening about it. And, you know, I'm a sober guy. I've been sober for six years. So I've, I've been through my own version of hell, that, uh, most of which I created for myself and, mm-hmm. you know, been through all those things. So there's like really nothing in his world that's too dangerous for me to talk about. I'd actually love to talk about it with him just because when I was his age, I was dying for somebody to look me in the eyes and say, hey, whatever's going on for you, I can handle it. What do you th- what, what's going on? And there's some necessary suffering. That's how we grow. We don't like to use that word because it sounds so negative, but it's, it is paying the price now for a future that's worth it. I think that's all, that's the, that's the game. Now, not that we always have to be paying the price, you know, cause we can go to Disneyland or we can like have great days and we can like be, you know, soaring high. It's just life is just this, you know, um, undulating up and down moment by moment, really for me. And so how do I hold in and actually embrace the hard times, embrace the tension, embrace the difficult conversations with myself, with my wife, with my kids. And this is what another aspect of really great leaders, maybe back to the first question as well, is people that can language the tension of a moment. Because if you don't, we call it awkward. How do you get better at embracing the not so much the highs, but a lot of the, the what we consider the lows, right? Yeah. Normally consider the lows. How do you learn to embrace those more? Yeah. Well, there's a long answer to that. Let's see. <laughs> First off, like we, whenever we're hit by anything, we naturally live in an interpretation of that thing. And I don't want to get too philosophical here, but this bad thing's happening. We hit, we didn't hit Q1 goals. And that's bad. Okay. Yes, it is. It's, we didn't deliver. Now, anytime we label something as bad, we run from it naturally, or we will have a half hearted exploration of the breakdown. So instead of first off, we have to realize that as a human, we will never be outside of our interpretation of reality. Meaning, like you and I are on this call right now, and it seems like we're on the same podcast, but we're not. Tristan's on Tristan's version. I'm on my version. Like in my own head, I'm speaking right now, and I'm in a conversation about you and about your listeners and about myself. And am I going on too long? Like I've had that thought 10 times. Am I going on too long? How do I get more to the point? And I'm in a swirling conversation with me about what's happening right now. And you are too. And you're like thinking about the next question. You're taking notes and what was useful, not useful. And, da, 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 and how can you serve? Well, you're in your own thing. So i.e. the interpretation, we live in an interpretation. So, and I say that's gravity. We know that's gravity from neuroscience, but I invite anybody that hasn't thought about that to try that idea on. And mm-hmm. if that's true, then we got a lot of power because if the bad quote unquote bad things happening, I can actually say, okay, is what I say to myself. How is this an advantage? What's the benefit of this? You know, you take out the fear of it and you get close to it. And there's probably some, um, what's the word? Not credit, not fault, not blame, but there is contribution. Like if I'm involved in a system and the system failed, I'm, I have a contribution, especially if I'm the leader, right? So I will, I will want to go look for the contribution if I want to be responsible and I don't know how many people do, but if you want to be fully responsible and make something great happen, then I want to go search for my own contribution. Now we call that hugging the cactus Mm. because that's naturally to our ego centered mind, very image centered space. We're in very non-forgiving culture, very shame based culture. We don't want to own stuff for fear that we won't ever shake it off or that will be labeled forever, like broken trust. And so if we get really honest, we fear that people are going to hold it against us. And some people might. And you might be the main person that holds it against yourself. But if I'm willing to go engage the negative thing and listen to it, there's a conversation baked into the breakdown that's dying to be heard. Because the evidence of the missing conversation is the breakdown. Like the breakdown, whatever's happening, let's say my teenager's sideways. And that whatever behavior is happening, that's not the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. 
Mm. What's yeah. missing is the conversation before. So, but if I don't get close to the symptom, I can't get to the cause. True. You know, like if I've got something going on with my body and I don't go explore it, go get some diagnostics with it. I could take Tylenol all day long for a headache, but I might have cancer, but I won't, if I don't go to the doctor and, and ask the question take on the fear baked in that, obviously, because we don't want to find out something really bad, but yeah. the longer we wait, the less close we get to the truth. And the truth is what gives us possibilities. It's what sets us free. The rabbi says it's, you know, the, so we can't get close. So to your question, first off, I got to own the fact that I'm living in an interpretation. Second off is just choose a new interpretation. Like how might this be good for us? What is there to learn in here instead of to wallow in the failing? What do we get to learn? And how, if I own how I contributed, how might that build more trust on the team? Because that's always available. Like if someone honestly accounts of the team is full of accountability, not the leader holds them accountable. I don't even believe in that. Gives them the space to give an account. And people stand there on the hook, really owning it, seeking forgiveness when they've blown it. Ask, get up out of the dirt. Don't feel sorry for themselves. Ask more questions, but usually isn't what, what's, what's not happening. They're not asking for help because we all want to, we all think at least this guy thinks that I get extra points if I do it by myself. Mm. You know, ask, you know, I always need a lot more help than I want um, just naturally. And so asking all those conversations that have been missing that generated the breakdown, then we can be in it in a whole brand new way. Something new can happen if I shift, right? Like if I own something and learn and grow and get doubled down on my commitment, I have shifted. So therefore it can shift. But if I don't own anything and I just want to keep being the guy I've been for five years, there's mm-hmm. really a low percentage chance it's going to shift. Because you know, if, if people are irresponsible in the accounting of a breakdown, they will reproduce the breakdown, take it to the bank because the same thinking is present. That's, That's why when you, when you like hire somebody, it's like, oh, Tom's really failing. We should hire somebody to help him. I don't know. If Tom's not being that responsible, then he's just going to ruin that person's life too. Dude, I love that response, man. Very uh, extreme ownership, uh, yeah, man. Of, uh, which, which I feel like we're missing here because it's everybody else's fault everywhere we yeah, look. Everybody else's. I know. It's so sad. <laughs> Yeah. It's just really, I've, I've, I, when I meet a really victimized person and I can be that guy, you know, whatever, track my brain waves on a daily basis, I can come in and out of that. Right. So mm-hmm. you never are, are, you never are cured from wanting to hide. Yeah. That's, I mean, first record of humans in the world. They all, any first breakdown that came, they, they were all pointing fingers. Oh, so we were sure <laughs> we've known it from the beginning. <laughs> And, um, but I heard Hermosi say the other day, um, which I'm guessing your listeners like Alex Hermosi, he's an interesting cat in culture these days, but he said something I thought was very brilliant. He said, he didn't say it this way, but what he, what the, the, what he meant to say was, or like a version of what he said was wherever you point the finger goes, the power. Wow. He was talking about his context with his dad and he'd been like, you know, kind of running from that his whole life and his dad, the blah, 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 blah. And therefore his dad really had dominion over him for Mm -hmm. a long time. But same in every situation too, if I keep externalizing, if I say it is happening because of something outside of myself and something outside of myself can be my history as well, by the way, like I got this from my parents or I've always been that way. That's also outside myself because I can't change Adrian at 25. I can just be Adrian at 42. But as long as we keep pointing fingers, we just live in a powerless stance, which is just a, I'm sad. When I feel people like that, I'm sad for them. I, I tend to be hired to be the smelling salts for that situation, but I feel for them. Then I feel for myself when I get in that thing, because I can get victimized too. Oh man, I think we all can. Yeah, man. All right. Well, where do we go follow you for more? I know you've got a podcast. Where do we find it? And where are you most active on social? Yeah. Um, most active on social on Instagram, adrian.k. Um, love to have any conversation with anybody there. Uh, we've got, we've got takenewground.com is our company website. You'll see the word bullshit is our favorite word. Most coaching is bullshit. Most offsites are bullshit. Most, you know, in which I think it is. So we, we try to be the solution to most of people's cynicism about this industry. Um, and we connect with really dogged people. You know, our favorite folks to work with are really like 
fast moving, frustrated founders. Those are our favorite people. And we can usually make a big pop with them and their teams. You asked another question. Oh, your podcast. Oh yeah. The Naked Leadership Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been doing that for three, four years now. It's awesome. It's really fun. We have conversations similar to this. We talk about what's going on in the heart, mind, soul of a leader as you're taking on venture, which if you're a leader, you're probably, if you're not doing that, you're not a leader anyway. But if you're doing this, you better get a hold of your mind. You better get a hold of your heart. You better get a hold of your guts and integrate these things. And so we, we talk about approach to things and the principles that are usually hidden inside of all the kind of business mechanics. So we're not a business mechanics podcast. There's lots of those. Go find one of those. There's lots of brilliant people that do that. We don't do that. We talk about the essence of becoming for a leader. Like what does it take to reinvent myself on a daily basis? Um, Cause that's what we're all dying for anyway. We don't talk about it. That's weird to say it that way for most people, but can I reinvent myself? Am I willing to do that? And I think that's where joy is. That's where hope is. That's where the future that's worth having comes from. We want that across the board. Like how good could it get? That's a possibility kind of question. And um, we talk about how to think through that, how to communicate through that. So you'll see it. That's, um, and we've got a, um, just got done recently doing a negotiation series. We've got a negotiation training coming up, negotiation.takenewground.com. You can go take a free quiz we made for you to show your natural negotiating style. We all have a natural style. There's benefits to it. There's downsides to it. It's good to know what it is. And then if you want to you know, get better, come to our, our training. Um, so anyway, we'd love to engage anybody. And there's a Hawaii training coming up, dude. There is the Revenant. Revenant, come back. <laughs> Um, about that. Yeah, four-day personal leadership intensive, accelerant for yourself. So it's really, it's around the living your word, we'd say that, which is weird. Uh, but ha- if you want to build trust and confidence in yourself, you want to have a better impact, you want to have a really marked impact on other people and know how to engage with folks to shift them, shift mm-hmm. the relationship, shift the outcomes. That's what the revenant's about. So it's, it is, it's four days. It's long. Um, days are like 12 hour days. We don't mess around. Um, it's all experiential. You don't sit there and just take notes all the time. It's very much up and going in the room in order to reveal a lot of the hidden ideas uh, and really assumptions about life that are currently governing your life. Cause you got to own what's shaping now in order to get some kind of next. I love that, man. Well, I'm checking you out. I just subscribed to your Instagram one, and your podcast. So I'm going to be listening to that, man. Appreciate awesome. you being on. Great to be with you, man. I appreciate you, man. I know you got to go top of the hour, so yep. thanks. I got to hop. Tristan, good to meet you, buddy. Thank thanks. You. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it. 